to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Um, just like we sang, um, holy, He's the same holy God. He's the, the same powerful God that we we're going to be reading about in this book of Acts. Moving forward, um, this, this ascended Jesus now sends His Spirit. And so um, that's some reminders that I want to keep out before us every week. So if you want to turn there in the book of Acts, we're going to be covering um, Acts chapter 1. We're going to do a a quick, just a couple more points on verse 8, since it's kind of the foundation of the book, and it's kind of the the unfolding of the outline of the book, and you can kind of trace that. And we're going to go all the way through 26. And so three main things that we're going to see there is uh, just, first of all, that little first section. Again, I wanted to bring out a couple more things on Acts 1-8. You could probably spend three or four weeks on, on, on that verse and just show uh, the ramifications of that, that one verse there, the beauty of that, how it ties into the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And so we're going to look at this, these three sections, kind of the vast vision, how great and deep and wide that vision is for him to say um, that the Holy Spirit's coming in power and he's gonna, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So just vast vision. Um, but then also the second thing, just the ascension. We're going to talk a little bit about the ascensions. There's some major ramifications and implications on our lives about the ascension. Um, and then also the, the, the foundation. There's a little section there where he talks about the replacement of Judas. And so the, we kind of read over that, and that's kind of like, well, it's interesting footnotes, but really what God was doing was showing his faithfulness and, and, and setting the foundation for a new time period, the church era. And so it, it's an important piece there. And so it's not just kind of a little like, oh, I wonder why Luke included that. And so as we go through that, we're going to see those three things, this vast vision, and then the ascension, and then the foundations of the church there. And all of those things, I want us to keep that reminder that, that, this, that this, the book of Acts, it's still ongoing. Um, it's the same God. It's the same Jesus. It's the same spirit. It's the same gospel. Um, it's the same mission, the same radical disciple-making. Uh, man, don't, don't you love when you get a wonderful rest and you get to go away on a vacation and your kid, when you get back, he goes, oh, I'm going to show you guys how ticked I am for leaving me. That's just what you deserve. And so uh, I'm kidding. Our kids do that whether we go on a trip or not. So uh, the same gospel, same mission, same radical disciple making. And so if, if that doesn't excite you, then you have to kind of wonder, what is it about my heart? Is my heart being lured away and kind of distracted by other things? And then I have that question out there. Um, was Jesus in his cross only meant to be a token for my security, which there is. It, he is our security. It's not taken away from that. But is that just something you tuck away and, and really you're not, your life is not really about living for Christ, being witnesses for Christ, um, living on mission for Christ, but it's, it's just kind of like I'm just going to do my life the way I want to, and then I know I've got this security card tucked away. I prayed the prayer and now I get to go to heaven. But really, my life, it's not about the glory of Christ. It's not about me being concerned about the hearts of other people, the souls of other people, um, and, and this, this, this mission. Because you were saved not just from yourself and saved not just from sins. You weren't just baptized for a, for a picture. You were baptized into a membership of a body. And you were baptized into a movement. So he saved you out of your sin, saved you out of your, your own selfishness and out of all those things. But you were saved into a movement. You were saved to, into a lordship and a kingdom. And so to be part of that kingdom means that we're ambassadors for that kingdom. And not just, well, hey, you guys go ahead and do that. I've just got some things over here that I'm going to play with during my life and some things that I'm busy with. And so instead, no, you were, you were called into and saved into something also. And so the beauty of that um, and, and, and the ripple effects of that is you will find meaning. meaning. You will find your true identity. You will find purpose. And so if we make purpose the goal, purpose is the ultimate thing, and Jesus is a means for you finding purpose. Guess who's the God in that? You are. 
So all the books that want to put purpose or meaning out there, they flipped it. So, hey, accept Jesus so Sankey can find meaning in life. Who's the God in that? Sankey getting what he wants. Jesus and his cross is a means for Sankey being the center. That, we, we flipped it. So if you put Jesus as a center and his cross and his kingdom, all of a sudden, if I want to get into that flow, man, I will find meaning. I was worried about wheels and mags and a shiny Camaro, and now I'm concerned about this person's soul. What matters more? And so thinking through those type things. And so uh, I was concerned about my income or impressing people with my status and this career uh, or living this life that people would, all my friends would be envious of and jealous of. Man, present that to Jesus day one. Walk across that, that first 10 seconds in that new awakening after we've been either resurrected up out of the grave or we've, we've been caught up in the air. And, and so what are you going to present to him? Man, this is what life was about. And so we're called into that, saved into that. And so that's radical thinking. And so I wanted you to see that all three of these things are very radical. And so we see in Acts, it's very radical, but we've kind of said, well, well it's 2023. Everything's kind of calmed down. And so we, we kind of know the story now. We know the bullet points about Jesus. And so it, it's not quite as radical now. We're, we're just supposed to live our little lives. And so there is this a- aspect of faithfulness and, and, and trying to be faithful in these things, but, but you've called into something else. And so I wanted us to see that this is radical. So I put that up there. I, I would say the main backdrop is this is radical stuff. And I hope you see even just this Luke's little story here. We know the story. We don't see it as radical anymore. But if you were one of those guys... This is radical stuff. I mean, this is weird, crazy stuff. I mean, when you think about just the vast vision, I mean, just think about all three parts of that in this little section of Acts here. Hey, you little bitty Jewish cult of 100 people, you're now taking a new message. You're breaking from Judaism and definitely not Roman stuff and the Roman pantheon of gods. You got a new savior and, and you don't go to, go to a temple anymore. And you don't make sacrifices anymore. He was the sacrifice, and now he is the temple. Your body is the, the living temple with the Holy Spirit. That's crazy, radical, weird thinking. No, you don't have to go to a place. Remember Jesus with the woman at the well? It's not about this mount or that mount or this worship place or that worship place. In fact, hey, ma'am, it's all in me. I'm the living water. That, that's a crazy, radical thing. And then if you think about the ascension, yeah, we were there. Yeah, he rose from the grave. Yeah, we were there that day. You, you saw him all get bludgeoned and, and sliced up and, and ripped apart and die six hours later. Yeah, well, we, we talked to him afterwards. Yeah, we had some meals with him. Like, people are just like, oh, that's crazy. I'm walking. That's radical. That's crazy. Um, and then, hey, we've got to replace this because a thousand years ago, uh, the guy that we loved, David, he said there's going to be a betrayer and someone's going to have to take Judah's spot a thousand years ago. That's nuts. And now, stay in Jerusalem where this guy was murdered. Your leader was murdered, and I want you to be all about him. That's nuts. That's radical. Those three things that we just read over and go, oh, yeah, the ascension. Oh, yeah, Acts 1-8. Oh, yeah, uh, here's Matthew takes his place. That's crazy radical stuff. And so just thinking through that. Um, Think through, uh, you guys have heard me say this before, um, we're going to see in, with later in Paul uh, as we get to Acts 9 and 10 and stuff like that, and he's introduced a little bit earlier, but when we get to 12 and 13, it really shifts from Peter being the center spot uh, to, to Paul, and Luke's tracking with Paul, he's traveling with Paul, but um, I, you've heard me say, hey, and this is just a rule of mine, you don't have to go with it, but Sankey's rule is first 10,000 years in heaven, just stay away from Paul. Like other people may be flocking, we just sang the song, you know, like with this resurrected hope, we want to talk to those saints and believers, I'm going to find, like, they're like, hey, Paul's going to be around this today, Sankey's staying away. Because you've heard the comedian, I forgive his Brian Regan, talk about the joke about the don't come in with your, you know, one wisdom tooth story. So he kind of talked about when you go in those places or it was some comedian, he's like, you know, and you start telling story like, yeah, I had to, had to get one wisdom tooth, tooth taken out this week. And then there's always that person's like, one wisdom tooth? Well, that ain't nothing. Here's why I had four wisdom teeth. They had to go in under my chin. And, I, and so anything that you do, and so, you know, think of our lives. Like, I'm telling you, just stay away from Paul for about the first 10,000 years because I'll probably be sitting around a table, not realize he's sitting there. Jesus may even be at the table. And then I, I go into something about, like, my back pain, some, some back pain. 
oh, yeah, I had some back problems. And then all of a sudden, you hear someone pipe up, hey, Sankey. Oh, gosh, it's Paul. Hey, Sankey, why don't you tell us about your back pain? Well, I mean, it's pretty serious. Uh, you know, I felt it was very serious. Had to get an MRI. Yeah. Oh, 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 Sankey, go ahead and tell me about that MRI. What, what is that MRI? Oh, it's, you're able to view internal issues? Sank, sorry, I, I guess it was all the slashes and the rips, and I, I, I got beat down with 195 lashes. I probably just couldn't feel the internal pain because of all the bleeding and swelling and blood and all that. And so again, I, so I just, I just want to stay away. I don't want to slip out there like, yeah, or it's really tough, and you know, a pandemic hit. You know, it's like it's really rough. Made air travel difficult. I mean, you know, who wanted you had to either have shots or not have shots. You had to have this checked. And all it's just and it's like, oh, t- tell me more about this this problem of traveling, Sankey. <laughs> you know, did your plane crash three times and you were floating on a wing for you know a, a night and a day in the ocean or anything? All those things. So just that's Sankey's rule. Um, and so when we think through. Um, what we're living in now, we should be so encouraged, and this should make us more wanting to go out there and share because of the freedoms we have, because of, of churches all over. There, there are believers all, all placed around us. And so thinking through Paul's early on stuff, remember in 2 Corinthians, we just went through the book 2 Corinthians last year. And so uh, in this 2 Corinthians 6, where he says, you know, there, there's no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. So just think through. Have you had to have really great endurance? To, and have you been faithful in great endurance? And so just think through that. By great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, calamities. And those things are all plural. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights because of the gospel? Like you may have sleepless nights because of a sickness or because you're worried about your kid or a financial problem or your job's crashing or something and you kind of have, you know, maybe you don't get two or three hours of sleep, but think through, because of the gospel, because of the dangers we were in, we couldn't sleep. So the next day you're wore out. That next night, you're sleepless nights again. You're wore out because of being called into this ministry. So, so look how radical this is. Um, he goes on to talk about all those different things. Um, and so when we think through um, the, the next section that he went into, kind of his, his whole log of things that he had went into um, in 2 Corinthians later on, I think it was, was it 11? Um, he, he says, I'm talking like a man, man, a madman, uh, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, again, lots of imprisonments, um, countless beatings, countless beatings. I got beat down so many times, I just stopped counting. Like, we just don't know people like that. Um, and so um, when we think through those things, uh, the beauty of, of the grace on our lives, um, you could go on and on and on. And I'm kind of joking about, you know, Paul's story, but that's a reality because of his commitment. And so what I want us to see is, how much cost is involved for us to be really committed to Christ? How much cost? And sometimes, sadly, it's not beatings, imprisonments, slaying, slashings, um, being stoned. It's I'm choosing more comfort and pursuing more relaxation than just even spending time with someone that I know needs the gospel. Spending time with someone and really encouraging their faith. Taking once every two weeks for an hour, meeting a guy consistently with for lunch to just go through a book or just find out what's going on in his, going on in his life versus beatings, imprisonments, trials, suffering, sleepless nights, shipwrecked. And so all of those things, um, I, I know we're sitting here reading this and we're not guilty for God sending us. So, so you're not guilty for God sending you in, in when you were born in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. You're not guilty for that. And, and, and God is definitely not going like, oh, I love Paul so much more, right? Um, we're not guilty or worse Christians because uh, we have cars or houses or air conditioning. But, but we may need to consider how we're living our lives, what we're living for in this time period. It would just be so easy to be distracted seeking more comfort, and nothing radical about our lives at all. Nothing radical. But yet, we would say, same spirit, 
Same gospel, same Jesus, same mission, same lostness all around us. And so keep that going in our thinking as we go through this. Not, not that it's going to have to be during a service time. Not that it has to be you know, uh, at a small group or a uh, uh, gospel community. But God may begin to blow on some embers in your heart and to uh, aliven some things, to awaken some things to where you begin to have a heart for people. You have a heart for their souls and things. So let's read this, um, let's read this um, verses 8 through 26 together. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room and while they, uh, where they were staying. And Peter, Peter and John and James and Andrew... Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women the Mary, and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120 people. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in, in the middle with all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So, Father, we come thanking you for this beautiful picture of just your securing, sovereign grace, that you had grace flowing out to people that had unsuspecting um, just, just meaningful lives, and then you come and astounded them and, and shocked them with the beauty of the gospel. They had no idea that you were going to be pursuing them like the hound of heaven, pursuing them and unleashing your gospel in your kingdom. We thank you that you sent that grace out and that you provided this foundation for the church, these men um, that would be apostles, that would be able to share truth and share with their own eyewitness accounts what had happened with the life and teaching and death and resurrection of Christ, and that they saw him ascend to heaven, and that we know that he is coming back. We thank you for all those foundational things that you're doing in this little section. We thank you that we can rest that you are true, and we can rest that you're that powerful to do these supernatural things. So we pray that you'd help to just break our hearts down from just being casual, comfortable, and, and completely um, just unsuspecting people. That, that, that we wouldn't be comfortable, that we would want to see you reaching the people around us. So we, you, we would want to see the, the beauty of the gospel going forward, people brought into your kingdom. We pray that you would also allow, allow us to enjoy you as you are changing us. So not only for those lost people out there, but, but the beauty of you renewing us, breaking us free from maybe sin patterns that we've struggled with for so long, that you would get the worship and glory and praise for that. You would be worshiped. Uh, instead of sin being enjoyed. Do that in us also as we go forward. In your name we pray, amen. 
So um, just the first thing, just, uh, just again, not, not going to spend a lot of time on that. You could spend three or four weeks on Acts 1-8, but I wanted to go back to just two real significant points about Acts 1-8 there. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it's, it's, we, uh, the word there is uh, dunamis, and that word for power. And, and the idea of that word for power in the Greek was that it's a supernatural power that was not of your own um, ability, that was not of your own nature. So, now, now, so the Holy Spirit's coming in this dunamis power. And so Ezekiel 36 had said, I'm going to take out that heart of stone that you have, I'm going to give you a softened heart, and then I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to breathe new life into you, every single person. And so I'm breathing new life, and I'm going to send my spirit, capital S, and he's going to empower and enable you to obey all my laws. You, you could not have obeyed my laws in the front end. And I needed someone to do that for you, Jesus. And now you've seen the 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 the. the the typical person that you're supposed to be like Jesus, you still can't just make choices to follow him. You can make your choices, but you would fail. I'm going to send the Spirit to empower you. This power. So the power is for the proclamation of the gospel, but the power is also for our sanctification. So you got to remember that. So what I mean by that is two big things about this verse. Um, in, in the idea of you will be my witnesses. So first of all, to live and tell correct truth about Jesus. And the reason I bring that up is because we're in a city in America that is known for just ridiculous versions of city. Like America itself and all over the globe, there's all kinds of versions of Jesus. But Tulsa in particular is known for kind of having some whacked out ideas about Jesus, kind of being the, the, the birthplace of many whacked out ideas about Jesus. And so Jesus taught sound truth. He lived and showed people, exampled that truth but it also revealed that he was truly God. And so when you think through that, um, we have to have a very clear view of Jesus. You, when you're sharing with someone, it shouldn't be, hey, you know, I see your life, it's a wreck, things are going miserable. If you give your life to Jesus, he'll, make, he'll take away all your problems. Do you see what that, that that's kind of a, a self-loathing, uh, self-esteem version. Like he'll make all your problems go away and make life better. Well, he didn't for Stephen. He didn't for many of these apostles. He didn't for many people in the church. Life didn't get necessarily more comfortable and better in their lifeline. It got more sacrificial, more costly. And so you've got to be careful. Like, no, Jesus come to forgive sins, not to make your self-esteem be boosted. Jesus come to take away sins, not to just take away your depression. Because guess what? The longer I follow Jesus, the more depression comes. The older I get, the more I am more aware of sin inside myself and other people, the more melancholy I get. And so I used to read when I was in my 20s and 30s, read these guys in their 60s and 70s and 80s, and it sounded like, man, they were like super following Christ all these years. They got to the older years, and they were like saddened and broken more by sin then. And you'd think when you get 60s, 70s, and 80s, it's kind of like you're winning the race and you're 99% free, you know? And, and no, it, it's just you probably have a more deeper understanding of what sin has done. You've probably seen the effects of that. And so um, he comes in, and we want to make a clear picture of Jesus. He's not just to take away your consequences. He's not just to, to make life easy. He's not going to guarantee you riches and prosperity. We need a clear vision. So you're going to be my witnesses. You better have a clear view of what Jesus is. And so for you younger people even, you don't have to fall into the hype of what, what Jesus is being touted on, whether it's social media and all these different ideas about what Jesus is like. Learn to go to the Bible to find out this is what Jesus is like. This is what he's truly like, because you're going to have people um, miscuing that. Um, we, we've got the hype Jesus. Um, we've got the compromising Jesus, where the one where he's just, you know, Jesus is really okay. So with, we're all under grace, so we can kind of do whatever we want to do. We can live however we want to live, because we know it's forgiven. Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus was saying, go and sin no more. Yes, I, I can forgive whatever you've done, but repentance is required. There needs to be repentance and renewal, and you're enjoying me instead of sin. And so that's a compromising Jesus that just says, oh, it doesn't matter how we live. The prosperity Jesus, the, the God-ordained success, this is what's booming in America for the last 15, 20 years, is that your, your God-ordained version. So every point in the sermon is three points of you being more successful because you're a Christian. So God is obligated to make you more successful in life. 
And man, it feels good. It feels good to the flesh. I could, I, you want me to name some churches? Don't have to. Go and listen to different places. We now have a kind of another kind of false gospel that's rising in. This, this American version of Jesus that, that, that's, hey, we're, we're God-ordained. We're a special thing that's set apart, and it, it's just not biblical. It's not a biblical theology, but it's growing, and people are falling for it because I want my economics good. I want my political power. I want all these successes. I want a guaranteed. It's not that way. And so we're, people are just buying it. And so you better have a clear vision of Jesus. He came for your sins. He came to take away sins as an atonement. He died for that. And so we've got to have a clearness on that. Be my witnesses to what you just saw. Be my witnesses to my death, my resurrection. You saw me ascend. And so that's what he was going through. And also, you'll be my witnesses. Live holy Christ-like lives. Another problem in the Bible Belt. We must be people characterized noticeably and different by both our Christ-like obedience but also our Christ-like posture and interactions. So sometimes we, the, the church has had a, a, a big stance on you know, all the things we will not do, and those over there, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, which sometimes that's in, in, in good hearts, good intentions of following obedience. We want to be obedient, but if I hate them, if I'm disgusted by them, let's be honest, I'm never going to step towards them. Uh, we watched the, on The Chosen, they had, the, um, they had a... a, a section, I'd suggest everyone to go see it. It's Gen Z people. It's Gen Z, um, young 20-somethings watching it, and they all were saying, man, either I grew up in the church, was sexually abused in the church, was beat in the church, was verbally uh, you know, all, assaulted, all kinds of things, all these things in the church. And so religion, don't joke with me. Don't, don't lie. You think it's tied to uh, economy. You think it's tied to a party. You think it's tied to these things. And here's what happened. So don't give me your Jesus stuff. And then they started watching this picture, and they're like, man, that's completely different than, than what I experienced in the church. And so we've got to step up and own that and say, you're, you're exactly right. And if you come here, you're going to get hurt. Someone's going to say something to the gospel community that hurts your feelings. You're going to, someone's going to say something that you completely disagree with and, and may hurt you or do whatever, but that's the church. And we need to love and forgive. And that's what Jesus was talking about. And we can have unity and peace in that, not the, this, this institutional thing. It's a living organism, organism dynamic through the Spirit. And so you're going to be my witnesses you're going to be very clear on who Jesus is, what he came for. You're also going to have obedient, Christ-like lives, but you're not going to be judgmental, self-righteous, and abusing and beating down everyone who's different from you. And so just, just know that's a, that's a beautiful supernatural work that he does. And so just seeing that vast vision, again, that, that's radical for us to have. It, it, it's radical in Tulsa to have a very clear view of Jesus instead of a, well, Jesus can be anything. It's radical in our day. And that, that, so that's a good end of the culture who's kind of going this way. We'll be very clear about, if we're clear on our Jesus, we will stand out just because of Jesus. We will stand out by simply being obedient. That's a good thing. That's what's happened in, in different movements in the world over the last 2,000 years. When culture started doing that, it became very crystal clear who the Christians were. And so that's good. And then also, if, you're, if you add compassion to that, where you're not proudly different, but you're like in a compassionate, you know, the reason that we're this way, even though we're still fallen, is because of Christ. And we want you to see that. There is hope in the middle of all these things. And so um, that's, that's what we have, a, a beautiful, vast vision that he spread for us there. Um, and then he goes into this, this in part of, the second part of, of his ascension. And then the significance of his ascension is him lifting off the ground is that it implies he's coming back. So let's look at this real quickly. Um, they, they were gazing into heaven, and, and behold, all of a sudden, again, radical. This is a weird story. We were out there, and, and, and there's you know, you know, 50 of us, 60 of us, and, and, and then he lifted off into the air. How many people say that they saw that? Like, you probably wouldn't talk with them. You'd be embarrassed if, if you're one of your coworkers or something, you're talking in an elevator and like, yeah, so this weekend, you know, we were playing catch with John, and then John, he just floated off in the air. Like, you are, I'm done with you. Like, that's embarrassing. Don't start talking about people flying off into the air. But yet, this crowd of, of, of apostles, they were saying, he, he ascended into the air. And here are these, notice these uh, angels. Sometimes angels have a sense of humor. So notice what they say to them. They're like, hey, men of Galilee, 
why are you standing looking into heaven? Are you kidding me? This, I didn't wake up this morning and think I was going to go out here. We're loving Jesus, wondering what's going to happen, and he, he lifts off the ground. Are you kidding me? It's kind of a weird day. That's why we're staring. What did you think we were going to do? So they kind of have this sense of humor because they you know, have different views on stuff. But I, of course we're staring in the air. This is weird. This is freaking us all out. Thomas still having a hard time with the resurrection, and, and he just lifted off the ground. What are we doing now? We don't have a real good track record of when he's not around us also. And so here, here, here. Hey, hey, guys, what are y'all doing? He's going to come back in the same way. What would you do in that case? I'd probably stand right there. Like, I'd build a tent like I want to be right here when he comes back. And some people were doing that. Some people thought that. In fact, the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is written, all three of those books were written by John. Who, who Those people, it was to the crowd who thought Jesus had already come back and they were like busy and missed it. And they're like, oh gosh, did, did the, you know, kind of like the Left Behind series. And he was, he was writing to them to say, no, 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 you didn't miss the second coming. And so there's a scary fact of that that they were worried about. And he's like, no, no, you're secure. So all those things are like, hey, if you've been changed, if you're not sinning anymore, um, hey, we touched him. We grabbed him. What, what, what you've heard about, what, this invisible Jesus, he hasn't come back yet, but I'm telling you, he will. But be encouraged. You're going to go through suffering. And so those letters are great because it's, it's a crowd who are a little bit afraid that they'd missed Jesus. And so John is actually trying to um, encourage them. First John sometimes is taken as a book that some people struggle with. Like, is that supposed to make me doubt my salvation? It was all actually meant to encourage you in the security of your beliefs, security of salvation. And so... Um, just that idea, you know, we, we, of course we're standing here like this. But here's what's powerful, and the implications of this is if he ascended, and, and these angels said he's coming back in the same way that he ascended. So think through um, the, the different places where Jesus already told us this. Um, in, in John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I was going to go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and will take you to myself. And notice the beauty there. Hey, the house, the swimming pool, the spa, the food court, that's not to go. I'm going to take you. The reward of heaven is me. I'm going to take you to myself. Like, that's just a side note, those things. I am what you're going to enjoy in heaven. And so... Um, and where I am, you may also be. So again, we've said, Old Testament, what was God's desire? God with us. And where I am, you will also be. That, that was the point. That was, that was Eden. I'm recreating Eden. My, my, my gospel purposes, my redemptive plan is to restore what I started out in Eden with, with you guys with me, me being worshipped, you having the greatest thing that you could ever have. Not food, not sex, not money, not success, me. The greatest thing you could have. That's what you get. And so um, Matthew 24, he says, Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So think through that. Um, when I see the news, I'm seeing different events that are going on. You can see different things are happening. So natural disasters and wars and rumors of wars and two or, these, these, two or three of these crazy guys who have their fingers on different buttons and just all kinds of things going on, a huge refugee crisis, crisis right now. There's more people that are on a diaspora, separated from their homes than ever in the history of the world that, that a lot don't have the gospel are looking and the gospel is being used by that. And, and, and all of those things, are we praying hey, don't let, let's pray for that guy so he doesn't hit a button and, and, and make something catastrophic happen. Or are we going, hey, God, we're praying that you would allow whatever happens there in those world events for the gospel to spread and the kingdom to go forward. Suffering or prosperity, whatever happens in that, we're praying for the kingdom, the gospel, for you to use that. Because that's Acts. That's the book of Acts. We're going to see every single time a new threshold, they step in and it's like a huge bad thing that happens and something blows up, but the gospel goes forward and people get saved. Or something of a blessing and some healings go on. Why did the healings happen? It brought attention to the message that they had afterward. And the gospel went forward, people were saved. And so uh, lots of places there. Um, uh, so Hebrews 9, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, again, specifically, here's what Jesus came for, once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. So second advent, 
Not to deal with sin, he already did that, but to save who? Those who are eagerly waiting for him. It's terrifying. Because when I look around, I don't believe even, I'm not talking about outsiders, I'm not talking about people who don't go to the church, or even insiders who will attend or kind of somewhat attend in our town. You, you know, we've got a lot of people, got a lot of big box churches where it's easy to slip in once every four weeks, maybe twice a month, maybe once every three months, and, and you just see things. And so those who are eagerly waiting for him, um, I don't see the majority of church attenders, even you know, church attenders who are eagerly waiting for him. That's, that's what my life is about. This is what my life is about. So you go, oh, hey, well, thank you, man. Are you being judgmental? Or are you trying to make this make people doubt their salvation? No, I'm, I'm just saying you need to really evaluate your heart. You really need to evaluate your heart. If, is Jesus this, this token for your security? Or has he become everything in your life? Man, that's, my version's light compared to what he was telling people. My version's easy compared to what he repeatedly said. Um, and then 1 Thessalonians 4. Again, this idea of the ascension. He ascended, but he's coming back. We need to think through this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. It's going to be weird. It's just going to be weird. Like Again, it's kind of like the guys, two guys show up. Hey, why are y'all staring there? Are you kidding me? I was at a graveyard. Uh, I used to go out from New Beginnings and I, for at lunch, and then Krebs would do it also. We'd go and I would take my lunch, and I would just sit at the graveyard. And people thought, are you just morbid or weird? Are you going out there at night and digging? No, it's, it's a great reminder. Man, your life is a vapor. When you have lunch and you're enjoying lunch, but you're looking at a thousand graves, you're small. And it better give you some perspective. And so we don't go to funerals, you know, a whole lot, like for fun. Like, hey, I heard some, some person I didn't know died. I think I'm going to go to the funeral so I can be reminded of my own mortality. So just going sitting, going like, hey, this is, life is a vapor. What are you living for this week? What are you living for this month? And so he, he's saying, hey, he's coming back, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, that would have been freaky if I'm eating lunch, and that would have happened right then. Because he said, I'm coming an hour you don't expect and you just happen to be in a bad place, and that would freak you out. Like, what? You just drive off, you run off, and like, what would happen? Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Again, this idea of presence of the Lord, that was his goal. In Revelation 1, he says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. So when I was young, we used to go to uh, Dawson McAllister conferences, and, and they would have these booklets. Um, some of you may have went to those. I mean, they had it picked out of the year almost. Here are all the things here. Here's like 20 things. When these things line up, he's coming. And, you know, there, there was 1984 was a year that they said he was coming. Uh, you know, Y2K, 2000, he was coming. Everyone's getting ready, selling off stuff. And so um, in that, I, I remember it's kind of creepy. The picture, uh, I remember the first time I saw Gavin Newsom, and by the way, I'm not mentioning nothing about Democrats, nothing about liberal California, nothing about Gavin Newsom, but Gavin Newsom, Cal, the California governor, the picture that Dawson McAllister had, it is a spitting, splitting image of, of, of Gavin Newsom. It's hilarious. And so I remember the first time I saw him, he was like, that's the Antichrist. Like I, you know, when I first, and I wasn't really thinking that, but um, I heard this week that people are, there's a big movement saying that Zelensky over in the Ukraine is possibly, uh, he's doing all these things. He's going to he possibly could bring peace. And so there's a whole bunch, hundreds of thousands of people that are like saying that Zelensky is the Antichrist. I don't know your um, eschatology and what you believe about that. But man, Dawson McAllister, they had these clear pictures. Here's all these steps. And man, you, I mean, you come altar call time, like, you know, thousand kids, everyone's clearing out because it was like, your bus is going to turn over on your ride back to your church. And are you ready to meet Jesus today? And so you're like, oh my gosh, like he's coming back in the clouds. Here's the reality. It is going to be like that for some. It is. And so, we, but, but we don't have to have fear. If your heart's pursuing him and in love with him, man, that, that's wonderful. I don't care what more vacations or uh, whatever uh, blessings that I was going to have in life. That's going to be 10 million times greater. And so um, thinking through that, he's coming back. Um, what's it like trying to get a new generation, a younger generation on the idea that this may be very difficult. 
This may be very costly. Maybe suffering and persecution involved in following. And, and people go, oh, don't, don't bring that kind of message. Don't bring that. Here's the reality. There is already suffering and persecution over hundreds of millions. It's been going on. It's just not us that have gone through it. We're worried when Target changes their bathroom signs. We act like that the, it's, it's the, you know, the, the, the end of the world. And, and yet people are dying for their faith in places. And I'm not saying that you know, we don't you know, take a stand and have an opinion, but, but, but suffering and persecution and cost and sacrifice. And so we've got to just have an idea that he is coming back. And my concern is, will the norm of what's being taught and preached in America over the last 30, 40, 50 years in, in kind of mainstream church, will that be enough of a singular vision of Jesus and a singular truth of the gospel? Or has it been so much about your self-esteem, your felt needs, your success, your prosperity, three goals for life, and, and missing out on Jesus? So how many people are going to have false belief when we've made that the message that everyone gets? That's the concern. In, in radical situations, will half-committed, half-hearted, bored, nominal Christians have what's singularly enough to to provide the sustenance they need. That, that's a concern. Will we be faithful? Well, when masses are drawn to entertainment, to hype, to gospel light, uh, sermons promising their God-ordained success, what substance will there be in radical times? And so if, that, if that's been the diet for the last 30 or 40, 50, and that's how you grow something, that's what successful Christianity is, and you're 3.8% of the world's population, then, then just... What, what does that lead to? So we've got to be aware he's coming back. His ascension means he's coming back. And then in closing, uh, just that, those, the, that section, that last section where he talks about um, replacing um, Judas as he had stepped out. And so the important factor there is what we don't really recognize there. You have to kind of read through and have a biblical, a working biblical theology there that this new era, so the new covenant has come, the kingdom has come, and so you've got new covenant, you've got the spirit, you've got the kingdom moving forward. Jesus said the kingdom's here, repent, all these things, and now you've got the church era that's being established. They didn't even know what that was going to look like. We look back at 2,000 years, we've seen the steeples, the, the buildings, all the stuff. We, we can study the history of the church. God was going, I told you over a thousand years ago, there's going to be a betrayal, but I'm going to use these 12 apostles to establish the church. Now, why is that important? Why does that, this little story about Matthias matter? Um, it's kind of a weird thing. Uh, they, they, it says that they cast lots. And, and notice the requirements. I want you to notice the requirements first. Um, it has the list of the disciples that are there, and it lists the women. It lists the, the brothers of Jesus, which two of those guys you know, end up reading, uh, writing books of the Bible, uh, James and Jude. And so they're his brothers. And, and it, it was tough. It was tough having, you know, you know, oldest child in the family, right? If you've ever been under that, you know, the, the, I'm married to one. So oldest child in the family, and, and it was Jesus. So, you know, just perfect, never does anything wrong, all those things. So, and, and so they probably just grew up. They didn't even believe early on. It's, the Bible says clearly they doubted. But then after his resurrection, Jude, Judas, and his name's Jude, but, and uh, the, his, his real name was Judas, and then uh, James become foundational factors for the church, uh, two of Jesus' brother, biological brothers. And so in that, what's God doing? He's establishing, establishing a church age. Why, why was that important? Why do we gather together? Why do we gather together? That was new, the way that we're doing it. The Lord's Supper, these guys said, he told us, you must do this, you need to do this. But the New Testament letters that we read, and, and our faith is, is, is showing us things. The Spirit's using the New Testament, the gospel. All of that comes from God going, hey, we're not going to just skip over this. He ascends, and then just wildfire happens. I need you to see, these guys had the authority because they saw the living Jesus arise, arise from the dead, and then him ascend to heaven. They were eyewitnesses of that. So if you notice the requirements they had there, um, the, the two things that they had, First, they had been with Jesus during his earthly ministry from the time of John's baptism. So remember when Jesus was baptized by John. And then they saw his teaching, his miracles, the way he treated people, his life. 
Then they saw his death, and then they saw his resurrection, and they said, we need someone who saw all those things because we're going to be pillars for the church. And we're going to, this is a crazy story. So remember we started talking about how radical and crazy and weird the story is. They needed people that were saying, I'm eyewitness to that. I was there. And so we take it for granted, but in apologetics, you know, people think this is stupid, crazy for us to believe this. When we were in California for a couple summers, when you would talk about the Bible, they would go, it, it's just kind of funny, in kind of an arrogant tone, they, they would say, it, it's just kind of funny that you keep quoting that Bible, because I was taught to you know, use Bible verses to share the gospel with them. It's just funny because you keep assuming that that book matters to me. And they weren't, they weren't trying to be like condescending or rude. They were just being like, I'm from California. That book doesn't mean anything. Do you know how many religions there are? Do you know how many holy books there are? Do you know that some of the things of the, your Bible have all these errors in it? And so, so, but your, so your little book that you're quoting doesn't mean anything. So, so what do you do then? You need the Spirit. You need the power of the Spirit. It's Sankey's argument or lining up 100 verses or 10. It's the power of the Spirit that brings new life. And so that's what he's establishing there, just in a beautiful way um, in that, that little section of we've got to get this established. Um, some people would even ask the question, we want to get technical. Well, what, why didn't he just leave that 11, uh, 12th spot open? Because Paul, because in, in Revelation, and then uh, it was prophesied earlier a couple different places where uh, I think in Isaiah, and I don't know if it's uh, Mike or one of the others, but then in Revelation that those 12 apostles are going to have a prominent place. Remember, they're judging the nations and judging the different tribes of Israel and different things. So those 12 really matter. Why not just Paul? But for whatever reason, Paul doesn't argue and like, hey, Let's take out Matthias, and I'll, I'll be the next guy. And so uh, for whatever reason, that, that he has these 12, and he needed that to be established for the early church, and that, that moved us forward. That was a foundational thing. Again, you go, well, why did that matter? Because of the Gospels, because of the New Testament, the inspiration of the, the Holy Spirit, all those things, um, the establishment of churches and what the churches would function like. So in closing, um, what do we take away from that? Uh, what, what significance does that have on our lives in 2023? Um, first of all, I think just, just looking at, man, God's sovereign plan cannot be thwarted. Um, Peter's going to say um, later in, in chapter 2, and uh, alludes to it in chapter 4, that, hey, this man, this Jesus, very clear ver- version of Jesus, this Jesus, you crucified. And it was God who predestined and foreordained for him to come and to be betrayed and to be crucified. And so it was God's sovereignty and man's free will doing those things together. Those are not enemies. God worked beyond man's sinful will to bring about his sovereign purposes. So God's beautiful, sovereign, redemptive plan cannot be thwarted, even by all of mankind's evil and sinful choices and huge failures. So when we think through that vast, beautiful vision, are, are you living in continuation of Acts 1a? Are you, are you asking the Lord to let you have newness of that, renewal and living for that? Um, Is your life aligning and being shaped by that? Because it's ongoing. It's all around you, the kingdom moving forward. And also his ascension, it implies his return. Are you currently prepared to meet the Lord? Um, And then also his sovereign foundations, the establishment of the church. Are you all in with the church? Jesus died for his church, the body of Christ. it's It's the universal body of Christ, but it was to be in little local assemblies, little local pockets. And it wasn't, again, problem with mainstream America is you can come and attend, do your thing, step out. I really don't have anything to do with these people. I really don't care what happens to Haley or Dave or Jared or Katie. If I was there... And I just want you to really measure your heart. That, that wasn't for centuries what the church looked like. So the church is his bride. He established and sent the church in unity and love with one another. And he said, by the love that you have for one another inside that little local assembly, that's how the world's going to know that you're my disciples. And I think it's easy for a lot of people around me to go, yeah, we, we go to that one place, you know, like, we go once every seven or eight weeks, but you know, we just got a lot going on, got a lot going on. And I think that disciples, the people around them, I think that speaks volumes to the people around them, that my God is this little bitty thing that's not so important because I've just got a lot of stuff going on. And so, again, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be about my kingdom. 
and you're going to be committed to God and the people of God in that local place. And so it, it, the establishment of the church, you're going to see it gets rough. And, and I know that we've been in this very casual, laid-back um, era, but I think those things may be changing. And so there, there could be costs. And now there's beauty in being tied to people's lives. It, it, there's beauty as you see your, and you're worried about your kids. Are they committed? Have they seen a commitment in me? What did, what did they learn of my faith? What did I hand down to them? So a beautiful thing there. So I, I would ask us at the end there just, will we be found faithful? Faithful to Christ, faithful to his church, and faithful to his mission as we finish chapter one there. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your sovereign plan, your redemptive plan, that you came and pursued each one of us, that you have set out your gospel clearly, we thank you for a, a clear view of Jesus, not another version of Jesus. We thank you for a clear gospel that he came and died in our place and substituted himself as a sacrifice for all of our sins, that he imputed his righteous living, his perfectness and righteousness in our place. And we thank you that he rose from the grave that gives us the hope that we, whether we face death on this life or whether we're alive when he would come back, that we have new life in him, that our identity is wrapped in him. Thank you that this is what Acts brings to us. Thank you for the testimony of these men and women. God, we pray that the, the same spirit that, that, that was awakening things then and shaking things up, God, would you shake up things in our lives? Would you make us more dependent upon you? Would you break through some of the scaffolding and some of the, the, the false supports that we have in our lives, whether it's good morals or good attendance or good um, intentional purposes, would you shake through some of those to get to the heart matters? Let us continue to learn from you in this book and let us continue to be changed by you. Um, we thank you for what you're doing and we pray that you'd be glorified. Uh, give us a time of responding to you where you'll truly um, begin to work on our hearts. In your name we pray, amen.